Today's read, A Kata Witch, written by Nnedi Okorafor. Chapter 4, Leopard Knocks His Foot. I thought today was supposed to be fun, Sunny mumbled when they got to the bridge. She tugged at her raffia dress. Ugh, this is so scratchy. Would you rather have fun or learn the meaning of your life, Chichi asked. There's no meaning in any of this. I'll carry that across for you, Orlu said, taking Sunny's heavy purse. Thanks. He rubbed the smooth black stone buried at the bridge's beginning and stepped onto the bridge. As he walked, Sunny could have sworn that she saw something weird happen to his head. Her entire body went cold. Walking easily along the super narrow bridge, strolling casually, he soon disappeared into the mist. As Sasha followed Orlu across the bridge, Chi-Chi turned Sunny's head to her. Focus on me, she said. What happens when you cross? Sunny was glad Chi-Chi wouldn't let her look. She suspected that if she watched Sasha, she'd see the weird thing happen to his head too. To cross the bridge, well, you need to know some things, Chi-Chi said. We'll tell you everything once we get to Leopard Knox. Where have I heard that before, Sunny said to herself. But to her surprise, Chi-Chi started telling her now. Okay, as they said, lambs are people who have no juju. You were never a lamb, but you have to be initiated to become a functioning leopard person. That dress you're wearing is a dress for new initiates. Did you have to be initiated, Sunny asked? Yes, two years ago, but I've always known of my leopard inheritance, and I've always been able to do small things like make mosquitoes stay away or warm my bath water, things like that. Initiation meant something different to me than to you. It's more a mark of beginning my life's journey. Yours was too, but it was also the actual beginning of your self. Every leopard person has two faces, a human face and a spirit face. I've always known my human and spirit face. When I was born, for the first week of my life, I wore my spirit face. My parents didn't know what my human face looked like until my seventh day of life. She paused, looking at Sonny's shocked face. Oh, relax, she snapped. It was the same with Olu, Sasha, all leopard people with pure inheritance. Anyway, the spirit face is more you than your physical face. It stays with you. It doesn't age. You can control it as it controls you, but it's impolite to show it in public. It's like being naked. I think it's because in this form, you cannot lie or hide anything. Lies are a thing of the physical world. They can't exist in the spirit world. Sunny thought, 
that it all sounded like something a crazy old man would think. Imagine some inebriated old man shambling down the street, a bottle of palm wine in his hand shouting, my face is no longer of this world, oh. Maybe Chichi, Olu, and Sasha were all on drugs. Chichi went on. The bridge is a link. It's a patch of the spirit world that exists in the physical world. That's why Leopard Knox was built here. Leopard Knox is on an island conjured by the ancestors. She shook her head. Any of this making sense to you? Sort of. Actually, Sonny thought Chi-Chi was utterly insane. Chi-Chi smiled. So, to cross, you have to call up your spirit face. She looked around. Sonny looked around, too. They were alone. I'll show you mine, Chi-Chi whispered. Okay, Sonny said, though she wasn't sure if she wanted to see it, especially if it was supposed to be like being naked. Don't think I'll ever do this for you again, either, Gigi said. And don't you ever dare tell Sasha or Olu what it looks like. Sunny considered giving an even more cutting response, but then she realized that Chi-Chi was dead serious. Okay, she said again. Chi-Chi stepped back. Right before Sunny's eyes, Chi-Chi's face melted shifted and morphed into something inhuman. Sunny stifled a scream. Chi-Chi's spirit face looked like a perfectly carved ceremonial mask. It was long, about the length of her forearm, and made of a hard, marble-like periwinkle substance. The two eyes were square indentations colored in with what looked like blue paint. Two white lines ran from the eyes to the sides of a pointy chin. The nose was long and outlined in white. The mouth was large, black, a large black grin. And it wasn't just her face that had changed. Her body changed too. Her body language changed, too. She was suddenly quick and precise. I am Igri, Chi-Chi said in a deep male voice. She laughed, doing a backflip. Sunny stumbled away, startled by Chi-Chi's sudden flexibility and agility. Chi-Chi was always quick and on point, but now those qualities were exaggerated. The oddest thing was that Chi-Chi's spirit face still somehow looked like Chi-Chi. She did have a pointy chin and a long face. She changed herself back and for a moment the girls just stared at each other. What's Igri? Sunny asked. My spirit name? So I have my own spirit face too? Yeah. Sunny held the chewing stick Sasha had given her, and though it was all frayed, she put it in her mouth. She was glad it was still minty. 
so how do I do you remember how you felt when Anatov brought you back yeah she said like the best ballet dancer on earth Chi Chi smiled wait a minute you and Orlu and Anatov yeah we all saw Chi Chi said looking guilty I only looked for a second before I turned away but you said it's like being naked Chi Chi smiled sheepishly yeah oh my goodness I'm so embarrassed come on we're your friends look at all the stuff you said before you would even give me a peek of your spirit face yet there I was for everyone to see it's like my butt was exposed <laughs> different context she said with a laugh and your spirit face is nothing like your butt at least Sasha wasn't there she mumbled so what did I look like Chi Chi gestured at Sunny's umbrella it's funny you know how you told me you need this when noon hits well your spirit face looks you look like the sun Sunny shrank back what Chi-Chi just shrugged. So you felt like a ballerina? Sunny blinked and then nodded. Yeah, all graceful and... She tapered off. I've always loved ballet, but I can't do it. Okay, well here. Chi-Chi reached into her pocket and took out a knife with a jade handle and a bronzed blade. She cut the air in front of Sunny and spoke some words. Sunny didn't understand, but she recognized them as Ethic, the language and ethnic group of Chi-Chi's mother. Suddenly, classical music began playing. Right above Sunny's head, to her left, to her right, she couldn't tell where it was coming from. Sunny had always felt a strange, sometimes painful pull whenever she heard classical music. It was part of the reason she liked ballet so much, now that feeling was stronger than ever. Concentrate on the ballet music and cross the bridge, Chi Chi said quickly. Your grace will protect you from falling, I think. You think? she asked, but something was taking her over. She could feel that tightening sensation on her face, a languidness in her body. She strode onto the bridge disregarding its narrowness. She felt so good and so confident that she laughed, thinking, man, this is going to be easy. With her peripheral vision, she could see golden points radiating from her face. Her spirit face had sun rays, too. She laughed again, feeling a wave of pleasure as the classical music hit a crescendo. She danced over the narrow bridge on her sandaled toes, once in a while doing leaps that took her dangerously close to the edge. She felt not an ounce of fear. Beneath, the water swirled, pounded, gushed, and thrashed. She watched it as she danced, glimpsing an enormous, dark, round face under the water. Whatever the creature was, the river's strength was nothing to it. It was watching her. She did a leap for the monster. A chain turn. 
and then a pirouette. She looked at it in the eye, another laugh in her throat. Only a few feet away, the white mist swirled and gave way to the end of the bridge and whatever lay beyond it. Suddenly, her confidence wavered. The wind blew harder and leopard knocks opened up before her like the New York skyline. It was nowhere near as big, but it was grand. Huts stacked upon huts like hats at a hat shop. Not a European-style building in sight. All this was African. She quickly walked to the end of the bridge. When she got there, something possessed her to stretch herself into an arabesque. The music abruptly stopped. She felt her spirit face pull in and she gasped, teetering on the bridge's slippery wood. Directly below, she saw something undulate. The river creature, she thrust out her arms to keep her balance. Ah! She shouted as she fell. Something tugged hard at her neck. Sasha had her by her gold necklace. He pulled her forward and she stumbled into his arms. As he held her, she looked back tears in her eyes. Here, Sasha said, helping her to a nearby picnic table under a large Iroko tree. Sit. You okay? Olu said, running over. She nodded. Thanks, Sasha. Thank your necklace, he said. What happened? Chi-Chi said a minute later, after emerging from the mist. What do you think? Olu said. Oh, she said. The juju should have lasted longer than... Come on, the river beast can break that. Easy, Orlu said. It probably waited until she was close to safety to make the fall to her death more dramatic. One of these days, someone's going to get rid of that thing, Chi-Chi said, kneeling before Sunny. Sasha laughed and said, Girl, please, Anatov told me that monster is older than time. It'll be here messing with shit long after we're all gone. Sonny shivered, knowing they'd have to go back over the bridge to get home. It was already noon. I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, she thought dryly. As her heart beat slowly, she took in her surroundings. So, this was Leopard Knox. The entrance was flanked by two tall Iroko trees. They were slowly shedding a constant shower of leaves, though their tops remained healthy and bushy. At the foot of each tree were small piles of leaves. Beyond was the strangest place Sunny had ever seen. She'd traveled to Jos in northern Nigeria to visit relatives. She'd been to Abuja, the capital of Nigeria, too. She'd been to Amsterdam, Rome, Brazzaville, Dubai. She, her parents, and her brothers were seasoned travelers, but this place was something else entirely. The buildings were made of thick gray clay and red mud with thatch roofs. They reminded her of Chi-Chi's house, but 
more sophisticated. Almost all of them were quite large. Many had more than one story. Several had three or four. How clay and mud could stand up to this kind of use was beyond her. Every building was full of windows of various shapes and sizes, large squares, circles, triangles. One building had a window shaped like a giant heart. All were decorated with white, intricate drawings, snakes, squiggles, steers, stars, circles, people, faces, fish. The list of things was infinite. Pink smoke billowed from the center of a large one-story hut. The buildings were crowded tightly together. Still, tall palm trees and bushes managed to grow between them, and a dirt road packed with people wound among the buildings. From somewhere nearby, up-tempo high-life music played. She turned around and saw more people emerging from the mist. She stepped closer to Chi-Chi, feeling like an intruder. Maybe I should just go home, she whispered. She thought about the monster again and cursed. Huh? Why? Chi-Chi said, looking surprised. I'm not supposed to be here, Chi-Chi laughed. You've got over a hundred chitim in your purse. Trust me, you're very welcome here. She took Sunny's hand and they followed Orlu and Sasha. There were a few people ahead of them. She stopped. Iroko leaves were falling around her and as she watched, one of the leaf piles took a humanoid shape. It sloppily cartwheeled over to a man and fell apart, burying the man in its green leaves. As the leaves covered him, the man looked more annoyed than afraid. When the leaf thing took a humanoid shape again, a gun was disappearing into its chest. Biko, please, the man begged, holding his hands up and smiling embarrassed. I forgot I was carrying that. The leaf person cartwheeled back to its place in front of the tree and was motionless again. Orlu and Chi-Chi were snickering. Idiot, Sasha said in a low voice. What's he packing for? I've got more powerful juju in one finger grown man. Probably didn't even make Mbakwa. Sunny looked closely at the leaf person on her left as she passed it. Even up close, it was just a bunch of leaves. This is the forefront, Chi-Chi told her. She waved at a boy passing by and slapped hands with him. He wore baggy jeans and sneakers like Sasha, but she could tell he was Nigerian. Something about the way he wore his American-style clothes but he looked Nigerian too. Probably Yoruba. Friend of mine, Chi-Chi said. Yeah, Chi-Chi's got a lot of friends, Olu said. Shut up, Chi-Chi said coyly. Anyway, so most of these places are shops. That's Sweet Plumes. It's a juju powder shop. Sweet Plumes was one of the first buildings, a double one-story red mud hut decorated with thousands of tiny white circles that gave it an almost reptilian look. The front door was round and covered with a silver cloth that moved in and out. 
as if the building itself was breathing. As they passed it, she smelled a sulfuric odor, like rotten eggs. They sell good product, except when you get to the really, really advanced juju, but that's to be expected, Chi-Chi added. By then, it's best to grind your own. They passed more shops. Many of them sold normal stuff like clothes, jewelry, computer software, and cell phone accessories. Sunny and Orlu waited outside while Chi-Chi and Sasha went into a tobacco shop to buy Banga brand herbal cigarettes. They're supposed to be healthier than tobacco cigarettes. Smell nicer too, Orlu said with a shrug. But to me, a cigarette is a cigarette. A nasty habit. Agreed, Sunny said. Next, they stopped outside a place called Bola's, store for books. We'll be quick, Chi-Chi said when Orlu gave her a look. They were all hungry. Chi-Chi took Sunny's heavy purse. Come on, Sunny. It was large and cool inside. In the center, wicker chairs were set up around a wicker coffee table. A woman wearing a big metallic blue head wrap and a matching expensive-looking traditional dress was reading a dusty book. When she turned a page, she ground the book's filth into her lovely clothes a little more. Her hands were covered with the book's dust, too. What book is that interesting, Sunny wondered. She wanted to see, but Chi-Chi led her in a, in a different direction. There were books written in Hausa, Urdu, Yoruba, Arabic, Efik, German, Igbo, Egyptian hieroglyphs, Sanskrit, even one written in a language Chi-Chi called Incividi. Can you read Incividi? Sunny asked with a laugh, picking up the book. What kind of name was that? It sounded like a stifled sneeze. Stifled sneeze. Later, Sunny, Chi-Chi said, taking the book from her and putting it back. I am starving. Let's make this quick. All the people in the store were quiet, reading and browsing with such intensity that she ached to look at some of the books too. They passed an empty section with a warning posted above it saying, Enter and buy at your own risk. Here it is, Chi-Chi said. They stopped at a shelf marked, intros outed, eyes opened. She picked up a slim green paperback titled, Fast Facts for Free Agents. Come on, she said, or Lou's going to spontaneously combust if we don't hurry. Sunny held her heavy purse as Chi-Chi fished out a copper chitin and handed it to the old man behind the table. He looked at the chitin, reached into his pocket, brought out a pinch of what looked like sand and rubbed it against the chitin. There was an instant burst of wet mist. It smelled like roses. The man smiled and rubbed his hands in the mist. Chi-Chi did the same. Sunny imitated her and found that her hands came away smelling like roses, too. Just making sure, the man said. After so many years, you still don't trust me? Chi-Chi asked. Efik women and girls are the craftiest charlatans, he said. Chi-Chi laughed. My father was Igbo, remember, Mohammed? Eh, the man said, handing her the book and five shiny silver chitim. To Sunny, these looked much more valuable than the dull copper ones. Daughters 
Are their mother's children inevitably? He motioned to Sunny. The books for her? Yes, this is Sunny, Chichi said, handing her the book. She put the chitim and the book in her purse and waved shyly at the man. He looked at Sunny for a long time and then said, You should take her to my second wife for a divination reading. I know, Chichi said. Not today, though. Tell your wife to expect us sometime. She probably already knows when you'll be coming. They were starving, and it was nearly two o'clock, so Sasha suggested that they go to Mama Putt's putting place. The small outdoor restaurant was quick. It was run by a fat woman named Mama Putt. Like many Nigerian women who own food stands, she stood behind a counter collecting money and barking out orders to her employees. Sunny ordered a large plate of jollof rice and roasted spicy chicken and a bottle of orange Fanta. She paid with one silver chitin, and Mama Putt gave her back six small gold ones. They sat at a table in the shadiest part of the restaurant. The rice was nicely spicy, the chicken savory. As soon as her stomach was calmed, she said, Okay, talk. I don't care if you spit food or choke while you do it. Just keep explaining. Ah, Sasha exclaimed, his mouth hanging open. He just tasted his pepper soup. Ooh, that's hot, that's hot. He swallowed and then used his napkin to blow his nose. Damn. Good though, Olu asked. Oh yeah, really good. <coughs> oh wow, gotta get used to the food here. Not even good soul food has anything on this. Mama Putt uses tainted peppers, Olu said. Those are peppers that grow near spill sites, places where they dump out used magical brews, Chichi explained to Sunny. They are popular in Africa and India. Definitely not America, Sasha added. Sunny filed this information away. Okay, well, come on, tell me what you know. Olu stuffed a large chunk of palm oil-soaked yam into his mouth, then took a bite of his large butter cookie. Sasha, now sweating profusely, dove back into his pepper soup. Fine, I'll do it, Chi-Chi said annoyed. I'm the most knowledgeable anyway. Neither boy argued with her. Let's start from the start. So, there are leopard people. We've always been around, all over the world. In some countries, we're called witches, sorcerers, shamans, wizards, things like that, I guess. So, it's not just black people. Sunny took a deep breath. (sighs) Okay, I have to ask. Do you all have anything to do with child witches? In some parts of Nigeria, people mocked certain children as evil witches. These poor children were blamed for anything that went wrong, from illnesses to accidents to death. Eventually, the community would rise up and enact all kinds of punishment to get rid of their magical powers. Really, it was just a form of child abuse. Sunny had even seen documentaries and movies on child witches. No, Olu firmly said. 
we've got absolutely nothing to do with that. That's just some twisted lamb superstition gone very wrong. Those children are just normal, innocent, non-magical kids being scapegoated. Sunny breathed a sigh of relief. Anyway, being a leopard person is not genetic, really, Chi-Chi continued. It's spiritual. The spiritual affects the physical. It's complicated. All you need to know is that leopard people tend to keep it in the family, but sometimes it skips and jumps like with you. It sounds like your grandmother was of leopard spirit. By the way, all this is in that book I just helped you buy, so read it. Oh, I plan to. Go on. So, Leopard Knox is the main West African headquarters, she said. Sasha, where's the headquarters in the United States? Sasha smirked. New York, of course. But I don't consider that place the head of anything. It doesn't represent black folks. We are a minority, I guess. As a matter of fact, everything's biased toward European juju. The African-American headquarters is on the Gullah Islands in South Carolina. We call it Tarnation. Sonny laughed. Nice name. We try, Sasha said proudly. You know how you had to be initiated to come here, Chichi asked. Yeah. Well, because we have leopard parents, Olu and I have been able to come here all our lives. We knew our spirit faces so we could cross. We both went through the first level, the initiation, two years ago. It's called Ekpiri, she said. Most go through it around 14 or 15. But I'm 12, Sunny said. Yeah, you're early, Chichi said. So was Orlu. So was I, Sasha said. I went through it last year. I'm 13. How old are you, Chichi? Sunny asked. She only smiled. Yet again, she managed to keep her age hidden. The second level is Mbakwa. You go through that at around 16 and 17. That's when you really start learning the heavy stuff. You have to pass all these tough tests to get in. I can pass all that right now, Sasha boasted. Me too, Chi-Chi boasted back. With my eyes closed, Olu scoffed. Yeah, well, the rules say you can't yet. Screw rules, Sasha said. They're made to be broken. Only when you've mastered them, Olu said quietly. So, the third level is one that very, very, very few ever pass. That's Ndibu. It's like getting a PhD. To pass it, you have to attend a masquerade meeting and get a masquerade's consent a real masquerade, not a bunch of men and boys all dressed up. A real one? Sonny asked quietly, as if to speak of them too loudly would call the spirits from their dwelling place in the other world. Yeah, Chichi said, and that means you have to die in some way or something. I don't really understand it. So what's the last grade? Sonny asked. Oku Akama. No one knows how you get there. In Nigeria, only eight living people have reached it. Four live around Leopard Knox. Anatov is one. He is the scholar on the outside. 
But he's not that old, Sonny said. No, he isn't. He's only 50-something, I think. Ugh, how can such a mean guy be so important? Sometimes, too much knowledge can make you mean. You know too much. Olu loudly sucked his teeth. You always make excuses for him, Teacher's pet. You wish you were, Chichi said, looking smug. Anyway, Kehinde and Taiwo are twins who passed the last grade, and they went on to become the scholars of the Lynx. An old woman named Sugar Cream is the fourth, the scholar on the inside. She lives in the Obi Library most of the time. She's the oldest and most respected. She's the head librarian. Sunny frowned. Librarian? Why is that such a big let me tell you something Chi-Chi and Sasha have a hard time respecting, Olu said, putting his fork down. Leopard people, all our kind, all over the world, are not like lambs. Lambs think money and material things are the most important thing in the world. You can cheat, lie, steal, kill, be dumb as a rock, but if you can brag about money and having lots of things and your bragging is true, that bypasses everything. Money and material things make you king or queen of the lamb world. You can do no wrong. You can do anything. Leopard people are different. The only way you can earn chitim is by learning. The more you learn, the more chitim you earn. Knowledge is the center of all things. The head librarian of the Obi Library of Leopard Knox is the keeper of the greatest stock of knowledge in West Africa. Olu said back. One day, we'll take you to the Obi Library. You'll see. Wow, Sunny said. I like that. Olu smiled and nodded. It's great, isn't it? People are too focused on money. It's supposed to be a tool, not the prize to be won. Spoken like an upward-standing leopard person, Chi-Chi said mockingly. No wonder my mother likes you so much. Now, Sunny understood why Chi-Chi and her mother lived the way they did. Your mother doesn't care for material things, does she? Neither do I, Chi-Chi said. My mother's reached every grade except... She paused, not wanting to speak its name. The last, and people think that someday she will. Chi-Chi's mother is a Nim priestess, Olu explained, one of the last princesses in the Queen Insedu spirit line. Before Sunny could ask what that was, Sasha said, Not all leopard people live by the leopard philosophy. Olu nodded. Like any other place, there are killers, even here in Leopard Knox. There are people who only want power and money, who don't earn any chitim at all, who'd rather steal what they want. Some people are rich in chitim, yet are still set on having power and lamb wealth. I think they're the most dangerous. It made sense. There were flavors of leopardum too, they explained. For example, Olu's parents owned a fairly large home and another home in Oweri. Unlike Chi-Chi's mother, they liked nice things. Sasha frowned and looked at Chi-Chi. You know what? We're an Oha Coven, aren't we? 
Olu sucked his teeth. Come off it. We are too young. He said just, to Chi-Chi, just as Chi-Chi smiled at Sasha and said, You think so too? Think about it, Sasha said. First, there are four of us. There aren't any more in our group, right? Nope, Chi-Chi said. Right. Second, one of us is an outsider. Me, being from a different country. A descendant of slaves and such, right, Olu? Olu shrugged, refusing to respond. Sasha chuckled. And one of us is outside in. He gestured at Sunny. Black on the inside, but white on the outside. Sunny sucked her teeth, but said nothing. Just telling it like it is, Sasha said lightly. And two of us are girls, and two of us are boys, Chi-Chi added. Then together, Chi-Chi and Sasha said, Balance. Whatever, Sunny grumbled. What's an Oho Coven? Oha, Sasha corrected, an Oha Coven. It's a group of mystical combination set up to defend against something bad. So what does that have to do with us, she asked. What bad thing are we? Suddenly, they all looked above her head. Sasha cursed loudly. Sunny looked up just as whatever it was exploded. Warm, wet air that smelled like rotten meat enveloped her. She threw her arms over her head and ducked to the side, falling off of her chair. Things hit her head and her arms and dropped on the table. She heard Sasha spit several more curses as white chips rained down, clicking and clacking. Something black fell lightly onto the table as well. Sunny quickly got up and looked. What is that hair? There were tufts of it all over the table. It looked like the floor of a barber shop. And what the hell is that? She pointed to red chunks of raw meat among the hair tufts. She felt her gorge rise. Relax, Chi-Chi said. Ugh, in a restaurant, Olu said. Filthy. Come on, the place is open, Sasha said. It's not like we were indoors. Sunny looked at the table a little more closely and screeched. The white chips were teeth. Mama put came bustling from behind her counter, all apologies. She shouted orders at one of her employees to clean up the mess immediately. It wasn't your fault, Chi-Chi told the woman. It's the goddamn tongue was fault, Sasha said, brushing a tuft of hair off of his shoulder. Damn it, Anatov told me about these. Disgusting. Sunny wanted to burst out laughing at the nastiness and absurdity of it all, and at their nonchalance. Every time she thought she had reached the threshold of weirdness, tongwas are just things that dwell at leopard knocks, Orlu explained. Floating bags of teeth, bone, meat, and hair. They explode when they're ready, he shrugged. Don't know what they are. Might be creatures that just don't develop right. We deal with them like we deal with mosquitoes, flies, and cockroaches. Sunny shuddered. Mama put gave them each a free bag of chin-chin. Sunny gave hers to Sasha. As they walked back, she looked at the time on her cell phone and gasped. It's 3.30. Oh, I'm going to be late. She speed-dialed her home number and held the phone to her ear, her heart pounding. It was best to 
to warn her mother. That way, things wouldn't be as bad when she got home. The call wouldn't go through. She redialed. Again, it didn't go through. There was no signal. Don't cell phones work here? She asked Chi Chi. I don't know. I don't have a cell phone. My mother's going to kill me, she said. Putting the phone back into her purse, it clinked against all the chitim. Crossing the bridge was much easier the second time. Once Sunny managed to call up her spirit face. It took ten minutes, and Chi-Chi had to conjure up classical music three times before Sunny felt her body go languid and her face tighten. Apparently, it was harder to bring forth one's spirit when one was tired. Apparently, it was harder to bring forth one's spirit face when one was tired. But once she changed, she found she didn't need the music at all. And when she looked down at the rolling creature below, she laughed loudly and blew it a kiss. Not far behind, she heard Chi-Chi laugh. Move faster, she shouted through the mist. Sunny didn't want to zip about like Chi-Chi. She wanted to dawdle and dance. Nevertheless, she moved along, thoughts of her mother's angry face enough to keep her focused even with her spirit face on. You won't sleep well tonight, Chi-Chi said. They stood outside Sunny's house. Sasha and Orlu had already said goodbye. They had to go straight to Orlu's so that Sasha could officially meet Mr. and Mrs. Ezulike. Why? You've been initiated today. You're more awake than you've ever been. Is it going to be? It's different for everyone. I just wanted to warn you. As Sunny walked home, she remembered that they were to meet with Anatov in four nights at midnight. How was she going to pull that off? She unlocked the door. Sonny, is that you? Her mother shouted from the kitchen. Yes, Mama, she said. Sorry I'm late. She glanced at her watch. It was six o'clock. She was two hours late. As she walked in, she remembered the raffia dress she wore. Before she could think of a possible excuse, her mother came hurrying from the kitchen, her father behind her. Mama, I slap! Why didn't you call, her mother yelled. She had tears in her eyes. I I tried, Sonny stammered. The phone wouldn't work. I tried, I swear. Where were you, her father demanded. With Olu, Chichi, and Sasha. He's Olu's family friend who just came from America, she said quickly. She flinched as her father moved toward her. His hand was always heavier than her mother's and far less predictable. Your mother's been worried sick, he bellowed. She was sure you'd been taken by that black hat criminal. How dare you cause her that kind of stressed, stupid girl? If you ever, ever return home late again, she won't be able to hold me back. Oh, I will flog you tirelessly. I'm sorry, Sunny said quietly, her head down. She knew she wasn't out of danger yet. It just got late and... She rubbed her stinging cheek. Her mother sniffled and wiped her face. She glanced at Sunny's raffia dress but said nothing. She pulled Sunny into a hug. Only then did Sunny know that she was safe. In that moment, Sunny hated her father more than she'd ever hated him before. As if he really cares about me, she thought. Your mother's been worried sick, he'd said. Obviously, he wasn't. As far as he's concerned, Black Hat can have me. Her brothers had never been slapped for coming home late. They didn't even have a curfew, not even when they were her age. It was only her mother who yelled and scolded them. 
Her father would only laugh and say that boys should be boys. Sonny didn't ever want to be a boy, but she didn't want a father who hated her either. Her mother let, let go of her and pushed her toward her room. Go wash up, she said in a low voice, and change your clothes. What is it? That clear green substance. One of the most perplexing materials you can, but probably will never, encounter as a leopard person is a rare substance that is more unbreakable than diamond. When it is found, it is most often embedded in ceremonial rings. However, once in a while, this material is found as the blade of a juju knife. Whoever is chosen by such a knife raises the question of what have you done in your past life to require such durability. This hard, clear, green substance is so rare that it has no name and no one knows its origins. Some speculate that it was brought from a mysterious forest only accessed in the middle of the Sahara Desert, and that it comes from the molted eye cuticle of a car-sized beetle that lives in this forest. From Fast Facts for Free Agents.